Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Roszkowski, your host for Future Foodcast, and where we talk with thought leaders in the food sector and learn about the trends in technology that are really predicting and leading us to the future of food. Very excited to be here in Calgary, live and on site with Mitch Jacobson of Revita Energy Tea. We have this rare opportunity because Mitch and I both happen to live in the same city in Calgary, and he's invited me out to see his facility, which is beautiful. And uh, thank you for being with us today, Mitch. Chris, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's an absolute honor. Really glad you're able to come to our facility and our church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as we said earlier, walking around and seeing a bit of your facility, it's uh, it's a new place. Um, you had some different starting activities and in getting into this business. We don't just start in a beautiful new facility. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to starting up Revita. Yeah, it's really much better being here in an office than in my kitchen in my garage. So it's definitely nice change of pace. So just like yourself, Chris, I'm actually an engineer by trade. So definitely going from the petroleum engineering business to coming here selling tea. So really the origin stories for me is it dates back to when I was in university. So Revita Energy Tea, our product, it's a clean, natural energy drink. And when I was in my early 20s, I was out with a really good friend of mine one evening and we'd had a, you know, a few drinks and all of a sudden he clutches the left side of his chest and he stops breathing. It was the scariest moment of my life. I, at that time, didn't know if he was going to make it or not. I ended up getting driven to the hospital and the doctor walks in and the doctor says, your friend had a minor heart attack. How old was he? He was 21 years old. So he had a minor heart attack. Fortunately, he's made a full recovery. He's okay. It's the biggest part of the story. But he had, yeah, a minor heart attack attributed partially to energy drinks. Okay. And so this was really the light bulb moment for me because I was drinking a lot of energy drinks at the time. Mm. And they're great products, but they're probably not the best thing to be putting in your body. And I saw that firsthand. And so that always bothered me. And as I got a little bit older and more health conscious, I really started looking for a healthy alternative, something with clean, natural ingredients that I could understand, even just reading the ingredient panel in the micro package. I couldn't find that anywhere. And so that was really the light bulb moment of why don't I try and create something that can solve this problem? Okay. So that really, you know, we think about sustainability and ideas for products. Um, that's a hard entry point there, um, but turns out to be very productive for you. So when did you get started with Revita? Yeah. So the the really, the light bulb moment for me happened in 2017. I was up in the field for work and I was on like a you know, 13, 14 hour shift. And I remember pulling over on the side of this dirt road and I drank like multiple energy drinks that day. And I pulled over and, and basically had a panic attack. On one level, the energy drinks weren't agreeing with me, but also I was going back to this life that just wasn't fulfilling for me. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I'd always wanted to start a business, but constantly through my entire life, I'd made excuses. I don't have the resources, I don't have money, I don't have the right idea. And, and so that was really this epiphany moment for me is why don't I just start now? Why don't I just start working towards this goal that I've always wanted to start a business and then looking at this empty energy drink can and thinking back to my friend who had that heart attack when he was in his early 20s. Why don't I combine these two things and really start working towards this mission of doing my own thing and creating a product that's really going to solve a problem for people? Excellent. Well, let's uh, fast forward a little bit through that development process and tell us how or what is the actual result of the Revita product now? What is different from Revita versus energy drinks and how is it better for us? Yeah, great question, Chris. So there's really two things that differentiate Revita from everything else on the market. So first is our natural hand-selected blend of ingredients. So you can read the back of our package. 
it's all natural ingredients that we can all understand, right? It's tea, it's organic honey, it's vitamins, it's clean, natural ingredients. We're not using any preservatives. We're not using any harsh chemicals. We're not putting taurine in our beverage. So it's, so it's, it's really formulated from clean, natural ingredients. And the science behind caffeine that we use, Chris, is we use caffeine in tea. Okay. And in early days of research and development, we tried every caffeine source under the sun. Mm. And what we kept noticing was every time we drank tea or we drank caffeine from tea, we felt better. So we started researching this and tea actually contains tannins and amino acids, mm -hmm. which there's scientific studies showing that that can combine with the caffeine molecule and prolong the effects of the caffeine. Mm -hmm. You're not getting the same jitters and crash right. that you would with, say, a caffeine from coffee or synthetic caffeine in a lot of energy drinks. Okay. That's the science behind the ingredients that makes us different. And then two is the packaging. Mm -hmm. So we have a patented, first of kind, flexible beverage coach, mm -hmm. which is not only recyclable, but it's really low carbon footprint over its life cycle. It has the same drinking experience as a regular bottle or can. Mm -hmm. We could reuse it as an ice pack. So that's what we're going to do with the differentiation. Excellent. Well, I want to talk a lot more about packaging in a minute. Yes. But, uh, or several minutes. But let's talk a little bit more about the products that go into your drink. You know, we already see that you put a tremendous amount of effort into choosing, say, clean, organic, in some cases, and sustainable products. But tell us about... You know, how you manage that supply chain to get comfortable that all this work that you did to have excellent quality going into your product, you trust, and then you're able to represent that to your customers. Yeah, really great question, Chris. Supply chain is so important, especially for a company like us. You have to trust your suppliers. Mm -hmm. So the first step was up with us is local is really important. We said, why don't we source as much of our ingredients from Canada? So mm -hmm. we use as many Canadian suppliers as we can, even if the product like tea for instance is mm -hmm. in Canada we at least source it from a Canadian company that's doing their due diligence either owns the farm or has a good relationship with the tea farm and these other countries and that majority of our juices come from um, Orchard and Abbotsford actually we we are sourcing different honey companies we landed on a company that's a bee corp it gives back to supporting healthy bee populations hmm. so a long-winded answer for your question but we really do diligence with our suppliers we make sure we use as many local suppliers as we can we try to align ourselves with suppliers that have similar values that we have excellent excellent well um you mentioned your packaging and, and that's uh, not only looks a bit unusual but uh i think it has quite a lot of advantages to it and let's talk through that a little bit and, and first of all why, why did you choose these um plastic packaging here I hear a lot of companies saying, oh, we use glass because we don't want plastics or we use plastic because it's actually lower cost and depending on how you do your analysis. But what drove you to this particular packaging? Yeah, great question, Chris. It's kind of the nerd engineer coming out of me. But when we were originally formulating Revita and we had the liquid settled on, like actual ingredients, we used the packaging. Hmm. So Rob Carter and I, founders, we always assumed that we were probably going to be in glass and we were probably going to be in aluminum. For some old years, mm -hmm. but I wanted to do a deep dive on the data because my engineering background was in sustainability. I worked with a lot of water recycling initiatives, and when I started looking at the data, I was shocked. You know, everyone assumes that glass is great for environment, mm -hmm. it's recyclable, it's natural, it's very easy. It has mm -hmm. a lot of package ratio, it uses a lot of materials. There's saturated actually in a lot of parts of the world, if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the carbon footprint, as you can imagine, it's glass, 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 it's glass,
takes a lot of carbon to transfer. Mm -hmm. Same thing with simple aluminum. It's a little bit lighter, has a lower package to product ratio. It's infinitely recyclable, as a lot of aluminum companies like to talk about. But what they're not talking about is these aluminum cans are typically made in either the southern US or the rest of the world. They need to be shipped here fully formed. Mm. It takes a lot of tough space. There's mm -hmm. a ton of carbon to for that. And so what we can't come back to is these flexible couches. They're not really being used in North America, but they're taking off in Asia, they're taking off in Europe, and they have an extremely low carbon footprint because when they're empty, they can be shipped flat and they use less right. materials. And so we're looking at this data and we said, if we really want to use the most environmentally responsible package, I feel like we just have to use this flexible pouch. Hmm. And that was the problem there is a lot of innovation needed to take place because no one was making these flexible pouches the way that we wanted them. And then actually filling them and, and producing a product in the moment. So that was two of the big problems that we had to face early on. But the real reasoning behind why we chose the flexible power mm -hmm. is just to data on what's the most environmentally sustainable mm -hmm. package. Okay. When you this is maybe some time back, so I'm not sure if, yeah. if all these details are remembered, but do you have a, I'm curious to understand of an estimate anyway of the improvements in carbon footprint. Um, and maybe other factors of this flexible pack versus glass versus aluminum versus a plastic bottle. Yeah, so there's actually an independent study done, I believe it was in 2018, that actually did a deep dive on the data. So they looked at a flexible pack or covered coach compared to on a cool can, glass, plastic bottle. Hmm. And greenhouse gas emissions, water usage, and fossil fuel consumption, the flexible package was significantly better than. Hmm. Every other one. And this was a scientific study that was done. We actually have an environmental infographic here that pulls some of the charts from the study. Okay. So one of the big things was like water usage. And I can't remember the exact number, but it was glass uses something like six to ten times more water just to mm. produce glass. Okay. Because of the cooling process and the, the flexible beverage pouch. And the same could be said with aluminum. It's more water, it's more glass, it's more carbon, carbon emissions. Interesting. So you know, as we work our way from the Beginning of the supply chain into production, yeah. you know, the next phase is of course talking about as it's going out the door and talking to your customers and, and those communication processes. And let's start with the question of what do you find your customers, what is their interest in, how do they look at buying your product and enjoying that sustainability part of it? Is this something that you communicate to them or is this something that's really part of, the, I guess, the story that rolls out over time? Sustainability is incredibly important. It's mm -hmm. one of the main questions we get is, is your package recyclable? Mm -hmm. And then we get people asking, well, why do you use plastic? And that's what, and I'm really passionate about that because I get to have this conversation with them and educate people that plastic is so demonized in the media, but I mean, we wouldn't have modern medicine if it wasn't for plastic. Mm -hmm. A lot of modern technology would never be possible if it wasn't for plastic. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that plastic is the problem per se. I think just using it responsibly mm -hmm. is what's important. Mm -hmm. And excellent point. And uh, I can see on the back of your packaging, it's got the, the requisite recycling symbols and that type of thing um, there. So what in the recyclable sense, what uh, do you give guidance to your customers to in terms of how to handle this for recycling? Yeah. So the beautiful thing about our package is it's actually recycled the same as the aluminum in the glass bottle. We return it to the recycling bottle. 
depending on the province or state you're in, and then you get your refund. Mm -hmm. So in Alberta, BC, for instance, it's a 10 cent bottle deposit, no different than say a beer can. Really? So that's the way it's recycled. Not every province is the same. The majority of them have this deposit program. But what actually shocked me is when I got into this, it's not every province even has a deposit program. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're passionate about here is we're actually involved in governments to help improve the settlement process, especially with this flexible pouch. So on top of trying to choose the most responsible packaging, we're also really trying to actually improve infrastructure and improve the systems that are in place in different parts of the country. Excellent. Well, as you're looking out toward the customer base, um, there's always the question of bricks and mortar versus e-commerce and certainly the impacts that we've seen over the last two years in the COVID situation. What is your company's approach to getting to market? Um, bricks and mortar, e-commerce, both? Both. Yeah. So I think to be a successful food and beverage company in this day and age, you have to have both. You can't. Mm -hmm. there's, there's some successful companies that play in either one or the other. I think the real successful brands that we look up in most cases. So we have our own website where you can order direct to your door. You can get it in a few days. You can compete with some of those Amazon timelines. We're found on Amazon Prime. So that e-commerce side of the business and really to create a relationship with the customer. Whereas if you're buying it at the store, a lot of times you don't get to interact with that person. Mm -hmm. It's just it's so important to our business. Excellent. Well, I, I think one thing that we've seen also is that in terms of customer engagement, there is a bit of a loss in being able to be face-to-face, -face, of course, with customers and doing product sampling, that type of thing. But certainly e-commerce, there's a greater reach to customers it's possible. And how are you approaching e-commerce in terms of marketing to customers and getting them to understand the sustainability aspects of your product? Yeah, so I think the big thing that we do that's unique with e-commerce is we really try and create a relationship with the customers. Anybody that orders on our website, typically they're getting an email or a call, an actual phone call from one of the, the co-founders with their first order. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to develop a relationship. We care about people. We care about the people that we're serving through our website. And then over the course of that relationship, a lot of times they either ask us the question or we'll be given an opportunity where we can educate them on some of the things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's I think, something unique that we're doing is it's not just a transaction when you order from our website. We're really genuinely trying to get to know mm -hmm. that person develop a relationship with them. Okay. So you're, and this product is certainly on the front lines of sustainability and the the sales value, will, if you will, of sustainability. Um, what do you see in terms, you know, looking over the next few years and the trends in the market for the pull from customer base on what do they want to see in products and what are, the, what are their buying decisions based on as related to sustainability? Great question. Sustainability is more important than ever. I believe California just put in some legislation have a certain percentage of made of recycled materials. Mm -hmm. And that's coming consumer demand. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's one of the main questions that we get is people asking, what's the sustainability of your packaging? Mm -hmm. What's the, can it be recycled? So I think it's a great shift in the way that people are seeing brands and seeing packaging right now. People are voting with their dollars. They're voting towards brands that are being progressive with sustainability and progressive with looking after the environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we want to be on the forefront of that technology, constantly pushing the the barriers and, and using, you know, more and more sustainable materials, getting more involved in the community. Mm -hmm. ways to get back. Like we partnered with plastic this year. So mm -hmm. we're going to remove about 150,000 bottles from the ocean, plastic bottles oh, wow. from the ocean as you know, a, a percentage of our revenue. So I think things like that are more and more important to the consumer and need to be more important to brands. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the, um, 
wide range of things that you're doing and it's sometimes difficult to communicate to, to customers yeah. and you know, you've got the, the packaging you have and the information on it is great it's clear but how do you find customers really consuming this and having trust in that this is actually real because i you know, sometimes we find especially with really big international brands their marketing engine is much better than maybe their production engine and their you know, all the quality details. Yes, but that leads to a little bit of maybe not mistrust, but at least questioning from the consuming public on: Do I really believe this? How do you communicate that trust to community to the consumers? Yeah, another really good question, Chris. And I agree with you. I think there's a lot of greenwashing that goes on with a lot of brands, right? Where they say something's environmental and it maybe necessarily isn't, or it's getting spun in a certain way. And you see documentaries coming out about this, right? Like Sea Spears talking about the garbage patch. Everyone's saying it's just plastic bottles. Well, half of it ends up being, you know, fishing equipment, right? And you can trace the money back to some of these advertising campaigns and where it's going. So to answer your question, I think people in today's digital age are craving real human connection from brands, mm. right? People are so used to getting automated emails, right? An automated email when you have ordered in two months saying, hey, we miss you. What about talking to a real person? Mm. And so that's really how we're trying to build trust is every week we're getting out to events in the community where we're meeting our customers. We're continually calling our customers. We're trying to get our faces on Instagram. And if we get someone that you know comes at us with a harsh comment or criticism, like I, you know, as the CEO, will call that and mm. have that conversation. So that's the way that we've been tackling and building trust is mm-hmm. just being genuine human beings and really trying to get to know our customers and letting them understand that we truly, this isn't just a place mm-hmm. for us. It's bigger than that. You know, we want to make a positive mm-hmm. impact in the world. It's not just dollars and cents. And we're here to answer your questions if you have them. Mm. So we hear a lot these days, I mean, going back for some years of social media influencers and being hired and engaged for products. And this is great for many products, but it sounds like um, your team is trying to be the social media influencers. And I think that resonates with a lot of um, input I've heard from many entrepreneurs over the past months of authenticity. Um, It's one thing to have a, uh, some amazing, you know, global influencer represent your brand, but does that represent authenticity? Maybe not. At the same same time, time, you've got got a great team team and they're sounds like very interested to get in front of the customers, especially if there's challenging questions to answer. But how do you see scaling that as you grow into say beyond Canada, a strong North American brand, and then globally, how do you scale this authenticity um, with technology? Yeah. So that's really the challenge, right? Is a lot of these things that we're doing, like individually calling customers, isn't necessarily scalable in the traditional mm-hmm. sense, right? But I think there's some examples of some really progressive, amazing companies out there, like First Form in, in the US, a supplement brand that's still, even though they're a hundred plus million dollar brand, they write a handwritten thank you card with every order. So mm-hmm. the founder, you know, uh, I listen to his podcast and he really talks about a lot of their success is built some of these unscalable practices, mm-hmm. having people in the company that work that first, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the ways that we're going to continue to scale this is we're going to invest into right human resources and the right systems. So we'll be able to scale the unscalable sure. for lack of a, a better way to put it. And so that's, I think, some of the things we're, that's always going to be fundamental to our brand. We're going to never get away 
away from writing the thank you cards, doing the phone calls, even if we have to invest into you know whole order fulfillment team that's doing that. You know, our most recent hire at Revita here is is going to be someone that's specifically focused on that, creating mm-hmm. that amazing customer experience by writing the thank you cards, doing the phone calls, doing the follow up emails. So long winded answer to your question, but I think we're just going to continually reinvest into the human resources, make sure that we're staying authentic. We're not getting too far away from these things that were successful at the beginning. Okay, excellent. Well, the authenticity, of course, has to come from the human side. And it sounds yes. like that's deeply part of the DNA for Revita. What technologies do you see coming up, you know, in say the next two, three, four, five years that might be helping you to leverage the transparency of you know the supply chain of your product, the, the quality of materials, the importance of the packaging, and really making that transparent to your consuming point level. Um, versus, versus, you know, not versus, but not just the writing on the package, but I would say more dynamic um, opportunities for your customers to really look into the company and see what's going on. Yeah, I think there needs to be more transparency and all sides of the supply chain. And consumers are smart nowadays. They see through, you know, the gimmicks and the marketing. Mm-hmm. I think people are asking more questions than ever. So I know you and I talked about blockchain. I think that's, I don't fully understand it, but I think that's going to play into supply chain at mm-hmm. some point where a lot of these ingredients are going to have an identity on the blockchain and people are going to be able to, you know, look into that deeper. And so I, I think those types of technologies where, there's, you know, maybe at some point we're going to have a QR code on the back of our package. Mm-hmm. People are going to be able to go to the QR code and we're going to have, you know, a section on our website that explains where everything came from. Mm-hmm. So I think more transparency and we're really trying to work towards that where we're being as open and honest to our consumers as possible and giving them as much information as they can and inform decisions about, you know, why choose our product or another product. Yeah. Yeah, the comment on QR code is certainly um, important in these days and age. Um, I, I think globally, QR codes have been much more utilized, especially in Asia, um, over the past decade or more. With COVID, I think everybody in North America knows that a QR code is now because that's how you get your menus at restaurants. Um, and being able to scan a QR code with your smartphone that's internet connected brings all sorts of opportunities. But like you said, being able to, for a customer to understand that supply chain might be important to them. I've, I've talked with a few companies that are starting down that path and there's also seeing that that's important, but maybe there's other hooks that need to go along with it. Because how many times does somebody want to scan a QR code to believe that, yep, you got this juice from Abbotsford, BC in Western Canada? Yes. What do you see as other most of will hooks or areas of interest that would be encouraging those consumers to scan it again. Scan, scan again. That's a really good question. And I was bringing this on you without sort of prepping you on this, but it's frankly one of my learnings for the past couple months in talking to entrepreneurs entrepreneurs like yourself. That's sort, sort of a hot question to kind of spur some in thinking on what else can be done than just showing that basic information. Yes. The first, the first thought that comes to mind is, and we, this is a big challenge in marketing, is it might be relatively easy to get someone to come to your product the first time, but how do you get them to come back again and again and again, mm-hmm. right? Or continually stay engaged with your marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think it comes down to two things, telling a great story and truly showing empathy and showing people that you care. So mm-hmm. how do you get people to scan that barcode or QR code again and again and again and keep coming back to your content over mm-hmm. and over again? Mm-hmm. 
And fundamentally, I think that comes down to telling a great story mm -hmm. about your brand, about how you care about people. Why I do some of the shows on Netflix, you know, kind of shows all the time, you know, kind of mm -hmm. because it's a great story and it's a relatable story to your life in some way. Right. So I think that's the way that we're going to tackle that problem mm. is continuing to tell a great story, let people know that we truly care about them and that our story has some relevance to their life and we're bigger than just the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you and I are sort of ideating around this right yeah. now. And um, I, I think there's a lot more that's going to be necessary in this space because although there's so much rich information that can be communicated. Um, I, I experienced this myself. I bought, a, I bought a product last weekend because it had a QR code on it and yes. I wanted to see what was there. But I could imagine even if I buy that product, you know, several times a month, I don't know why I'd go back to scan it just to see, you know, who are the farmers that produced it. I might, I might if I saw a different video, video of farmers every time. But and I think there's some real innovation that needs to happen here. The technology frankly exists. I mean, you mentioned block blockchain, scanning QR codes, getting reliable information off of the immutable ledger, all very exciting. But it's that hook that I think the clever entrepreneurs like yourself are going to be figuring out how to get people to come back and look again and again and again. again, and again. Yeah, and that's the challenge. And when you get into the real technical, specific details of it, it's, it comes down to your sales copywriting, right? And mm -hmm. how well you're telling that story. And I think that's we have a long way to go, but I think we're, we're really starting to understand the importance mm -hmm. of that. And how do you keep people engaged and keep them coming back again and again and again? Yeah. So thinking about this for Revita, not necessarily on the QR code side, but you know, you've going through a tremendous growth stage right now, really getting your production up and you know, to the next level. Um, what do you see for Revita over the next, say, three years in terms of following these consumer trends, technology trends, whether, whether it's expanding current product or new products, what do you see Revita doing to help be a leader in this food space? Yeah, so we want to continue to push the envelope. So we're constantly trying to innovate. You know, this packaging that you see kind of you today, this is actually from a new supplier. This is very new. So this is this packaging. uses 20% less materials than the packaging you had before invested in this new partial map printing technology. So it's tough to see on the screen, but the logo is almost like holographic. And it reflects light, which makes it pop on the shelf more. We're trying to invest in, now I'm very interested in, can we make this packaging compostable? Can we make it easier to recycle, which would be a model material. So it's mm -hmm. made of the same material. So it just makes it easier in the supply chain to actually recycle it. Mm -hmm. So on the packaging side, that's some of the things that we're going to be investing and innovating in. And then on the technology side, I think it's what we talked about. I think our next packaging revision is going to have a QR code on it. Mm -hmm. We're updating our website right now. We're trying to stay on you know, that cutting edge of technology because as a, a food and beverage company in today's world, you're almost a tech company as well. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that side of your business looked after, you're going to be falling behind. Right. So I think as entrepreneurs, it's mostly fun for us to think about all these amazing things yeah. that we're going to do. Um, and we don't like to think as much, much about the barriers that are out there. But what we also see is the barriers for yourself and your company as an entrepreneur over the next several years um, that you know might be distracting you from your goals. Yeah, I think it's really easy as an entrepreneur, especially in the food and beverage space, too, to not stay focused on what you're doing really well and be distracted. All of a sudden, your bottom line 
<laughs> it takes a huge hit. So we're constantly having people come to us with ideas about products or extensions. And one of the biggest challenges you face as an entrepreneur in this space is just staying focused mm-hmm. and understanding that you have a core product line that's working well. Make sure that you're scaling that first before you get too distracted by different mm-hmm. technologies or too distracted by different product ideas. So that's one of the main things that we're really working on right now is let's make sure that we're staying focused. We haven't even scratched the surface with provide energy tea. So before we expand into some of these other product categories, let's make sure we're doing this well first. Excellent. Well, I think that's uh, great advice for other entrepreneurs also. We learn about this a lot in business schools, um, all sorts of entrepreneurial programs, focus, focus, focus. And it sounds like Revite has got that down pat. Yeah, we see other examples in industry, you know, where a big company playing in one category will launch something in another category and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. You know, a recent example, um, I, I think Red Bull's an amazing brand. I've heard a lot from them, but they're the most Red Bull ever it didn't work out very well mm-hmm. because their core competency is, you know, the Red Bull energy drink. And so that's an example for us is could we launch maybe a different category? Yes, but our core competency is energy team. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just really staying on trend with what we're doing well. And, you know, once we get to a big enough size, maybe we can innovate in some other categories, but we got a lot of work to do before we can get distracted. Excellent. Well, I think this has been a great podcast today. Um, like I said, I'm excited to be here in your facility to see a lot of new things you have going on. And I know you've got a few things since we discussed that uh, will be coming out in the upcoming months. Maybe we'll take that as an opportunity to come back and uh, have another chat in the future. Yeah, I would love to have you. Yeah, we got a big announcement coming in the new year, some things that we did, and uh, would love to have you back and, and talk about some of the other technology on um, sort of the manufacturing, some other things that we're looking into. So it would be great to have another chat, Chris. Excellent. Well, again, uh, we were here today with Mitch Jacobson, Revita Energy Tea here in lovely Calgary. And uh, thank you very much again for being here, and we look forward to talking again. Chris, it's truly an honor. Thank you to you the team for having me. It was amazing what you guys are doing and I just uh, feel so blessed to be on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 